0: This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway.
1: My name is Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and if you were to read my mind, you'd probably just be bored by all the times I think about laundry. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs)
0: My name is Brian Doak. I'm a professor and biblical scholar, and my most transgressive spiritual moments are needing to laugh wildly in church at the worst moments. Oh, that needs a follow-up.
1: Today, we are talking about Fleabag, the raunchy, absurd, poignant, transgressive, and yet deeply religious show about a young woman struggling with grief and guilt.
0: Our guest is Natalie Wig-Stevenson, Associate Professor of Contextual Education and Theology at Toronto School of Theology's Emmanuel College. Join us. Join us. So, so, okay. So because you recommended it, you buy yep. it. Mm-hmm. I I tried to watch some fleabag. I didn't get, you through, did. Yeah. I didn't get through all of it all two okay. seasons, but I okay. watched enough to definitely get like the vibes.
1: Yeah. You know, I, that this, this show is, is I wonder how they pitched it. I wonder how they got it made because it doesn't seem like a show that would be makeable, at least not <laughs> in the States.
0: I can well so the show features a couple of things that are I mean maybe just tell the audience what's what what is what's the basic plot like what's a basic episode Yeah
1: I like? would I would say that the basic plot is it's um a an award-winning very very edgy British series about a young woman struggling with grief over the death of two important figures in her life we won't I don't want to make too much of a spoiler out of it and it deals with Death and trauma and is also hilarious and also very, very spiritual. Um, A word to those who listen along with kids in the car, some of the things, um, uh, the subject matter that's explored in Fleabag deals with really mature subject matter like we've talked about in other episodes of the show, so please be advised. Um, But yeah, it's it's a story of a young woman struggling to make it in the world. She's got a a small business that... Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> she doesn't is, actually is seem to work in well. very much. Yeah, I did, no. see, I did see that where it's like her, <laughs>
0: her sister comes there and she's like, do you not have she has like a bakery, right? Or like Yeah, a yeah,
1: sort of. But also has, I think, a hamster. It is a hamster named Hillary living in. Is it? It's a hamster, right? Or guinea yeah, pig?
0: I, something like that. I but, think a guinea but pig. actually. it seems actually to be going poorly bigger. with the business. Yeah, say.
1: it's not it's not going well. Um, She has a, a small constellation of friends and family around her. Her mm. father. Her mother has passed away, and his, her father has taken up with her godmother, which is a source of tension mm-hmm. in the 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 plot. Um, a sister who she's very different from, but also seems very close to mm-hmm. her sister's husband, who's like a total creeper. Mm-hmm. And then um, a, a best friend who has died. Um, so and yeah, that those seem to be her her primary relationships. And it's it's like I don't even know how to describe. The, the funny moments because it doesn't sound like much is funny about that
0: well it's I think there's a lot of I don't know I'm gonna sound like a doofus putting it this way there's a lot of like female humor like it's it's lady <laughs> I think humor so. I right think so. like it's it's a woman oriented humor I think that's, around a lot of like intimate topics for women.
1: Yeah. Well, sex, that's, including sex, but not just sex, no, like no, just no, not like even the that. female yeah. body in a way that yes. you don't expect to hear about it. No, on that's TV. A, Okay. So
0: one of the scenes, one of the most funny things that I saw was like, they're in some auditorium and someone in the front's like, would you trade five? Who in this room would trade five years of your life for a perfect body? And like her and her <laughs> sister shoot their hands up, but no one else does. And then they're right. like looking at each other like, uh. Are,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, the, that. that's the kind of stuff that, it, I mean, it's won a lot of praise from critics because it is a very woman-centric narrative. And it has some things, in some ways, I mean, maybe Amy Schumer's like a mainstream version of this where she talks mm-hmm. about things and you're like, I've thought that, but I have never said it out loud right. and I have never right. <laughs> said it in public. Yes. And so I think that that's the fun of the show. That's the part that makes it um, hilarious is that it, yeah. So, but the the spirituality, I feel like we need help with this oh this is
0: the kind of thing where you need like a spiritual guide to show because it, it contains like elements of like christianity and spirituality and like uh-huh. almost we need, like surrealism at we point. need someone who's like a theologian we need a guide like someone person. who would be into like the kind of spirituality like how do you talk about spirituality but also this kind of transgressive i don't know like approach to yeah it, I think.
1: yeah you know who i think we should call who my friend Natalie Wig Stevenson How many friends do you have? I've got a I got a lot. You get these these so-called friends I... <laughs> She is she is an extraordinary theologian oh. and she specializes in the transgressive aspects mm-hmm. of theology and creating meaning out of transgression. Natalie
0: Wig Stevenson. I'm looking up her bio right now yeah. at um, Toronto School she's of Theology. She's a big deal. She's a big deal. She's got I don't like, know if we can get her. She's got publications. Her, she's got a book, 2021, Transgressive Devotion, Theology as Performance Art. Mm-hmm. That sounds immediately fascinating. She's got a ton of articles. She teaches classes on topics like embodiment in Christian theology, context, power, and coloniality, ethnographic approaches to theology. Oh, yeah. this is the person. Now, yes. the question is, though, can we get her on the phone? Well, let's try. Let's call her. You, 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 you've got the number.
1: Hello? Is this Dr. Natalie Wig-Stevenson? Speaking. <laughs> Welcome to Weird Religion, Natalie. We were hoping that you'd be willing to talk with us about the one and only Fleabag series. Is that something you have time for? Uh- I love
2: that show. I would love to talk with you guys about
0: that. Hi, Natalie. This is Brian. I'm just roped into Leah's friend world now. Apparently. <laughs> people. It's good lucky. It's a no, great place to be. in here. I think this is the kind of thing, though, like, 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 I, I'll just I'm just going to kind of sit and listen to, to two people talk about the show, but I'm going I'll, to I'll, I'll jump in there if I can. OK, but you guys are the experts on Fleabag, clearly.
1: Well, Natalie, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to um, reflect on on Fleabag. How would you describe it in one sentence? I gave it a go, but I'm not sure. It wasn't just one sentence.
2: I think that the beauty of Fleabag is that when you start watching it, you think, oh, okay, it's like British sex in the city. And then it quickly starts to unfold. I think think the first episode opens on a pretty intense sex scene. Um, And if it doesn't, there's one within a couple seconds. Um, And so you're sort of like, okay, this is another of these shows where you're watching a young woman's sexcapades in the city. Um, But it quickly starts to become clear that something much deeper is going on with the show. Um, And Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just a, a hero of mine. She's so brilliant with this, with the scripts, with the creativity, with how they stage it. And I think it's just... It, it does a judo move on you. You think you know what it is, but then it just keeps
1: unfolding into a sort of a deeper psychological place. Mm. You know, it's so interesting that that's the perfect way. That's probably how she sold it. Like you think yeah. it's British sex in the city, but it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you described it way better than I could. I, I do think I want to just second what you said um, about the creator and the star because she is so charismatic and she has like an old fashioned face when I look at it. She reminds me of like Joan Crawford, you know, like she has these huge eyes that are so expressive and so full of humor, but also sorrow. And yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I felt uncomfortable watching it, not because of the raunchy stuff, but because it's so intimate. Like you feel like you're just feeling this woman's pain and that made me feel uncomfortable. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, well, I I felt uh, what I think we're supposed to feel is that we feel her con- well, like we're her confidant uh, from the get-go because she talks to us. And we've seen the fourth wall broken in a number of shows, probably most famously with Kevin Spacey and House of Cards. But that's a very different, you know, when I think breaking of the fourth wall, I think of it as kind of a masculine thing. And with her, she's She talks to us constantly. She has these little asides to us, and they are so charming. She's flirting with us. She's seducing us. She's luring us in with just this. She's doing these weird and terrible things in her life, and yet we're rooting for her constantly because she keeps giving us this little little side like side flirt it's what it is like she just flirts us flirts us into the story constantly why
0: why do you think natalie of the of breaking the fourth wall is a masculine thing because mostly men do it or for some other reason that's a good question
2: i guess like off the top of my head the only the two other examples i think of would be kevin spacey and then So nerdy, was it Christian Slater in Gleaming the Cube?
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs>
2: do you remember that movie? Yeah. There was some Christian Slater movie I do not, in the 90s. Continue. I don't know if that was it. There I was still Christian love Christian Slater. Slater. Oh my goodness, he was all over my bedroom wall. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. His picture, his picture was deservedly um, so. <laughs> yeah, there was some movie in the 90s when I was a teenage girl crushing on him, and um. He broke the fourth wall. And it was the first time we had seen that, really, I think, in our generation. And it was like, you know, if you were an artsy lover of Christian Slater, you went to see this movie because it was this whole new experience. And then the next significant one was Kevin Spacey that I can think of bringing it back in House of Cards. But in both of them, it's like a a, a host-setting power kind of move. And she's doing something very different with it. It's not what Kevin Spacey's doing. It's not the I know the secrets and... I'm Eva's my mean Kevin Spacey voice, but it's more like, oh, we're we're friends in here. I'm going to lure you into the story by making you my confidant, not by being the expert, but us being in it together.
1: You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because this is going to make me sound way more artsy fartsy than I actually am. But because the first thing that I thought of when you said it was a masculine thing is when I took my my husband to see um, Othello. And it was his first time seeing it. I was such a drama dork that we'd seen it. But Iago does that a lot, right? Like he looks yes, at the yes. the audience and tells. And I mean, Kevin Spacey in, um, in House of Cards is very much an Iago kind of a character where he's like, yeah. I'm going to take over everything. And you're right. It's almost like we're the Sex and the City friends. And she's just sharing just, I mean, I, what I thought was fun about the show is it's well it's like a lot of some of the best tv series ever it's only two seasons um, yeah, and i love
0: that about it so oh, much i just yeah. don't understand British TV like okay a there's bit, so much better a little bit so of a much when
1: you're ahead yes. Okay. Yeah. yes one is
0: one aside here just one little aside like russian doll for example oh. that being one season i was like why are they doing another season it was so perfect it was so perfect i know it's so yeah, perfect yeah, you want true. more but it's so perfect you don't want more you know what i mean like
1: yeah and natasha I, whatever i can't remember her yeah, last name she's, she's so super good. charismatic too the
0: two season thing was they could get closure on it and it wasn't like it was i mean not necessarily closure maybe i don't know how much closure really there is at the end of the show but maybe we could talk about
1: that yeah well i think that it it, it's like a coherent narrative arc right where i i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into this so i'm married to someone who's a, a hospital chaplain and it's funny because i did not expect him to like this show at all because we have very different tastes. And he doesn't like British humor. He doesn't Thomas like. Liked it. The, well, he doesn't like the awkwardness of British humor. You know, I think oh, yeah. that's so great. I live for it. I like that in regular yeah. faculty meetings, as Brian knows, because I'm always like, this is hilarious whenever something's really awkward. But, um, but no, oh, but... Our husbands
2: have so much in common. Did I he like... It. Okay, like, yeah. Tom- the British office, Tyler had to watch it from the other room. <laughs> like he could to be... He'd go and stand behind the couch to watch. And That's so said, funny. Like, he really liked Fleabag, but it was the same. He was like had to hide behind things to watch that it. That is so funny. Well, Thomas was like,
1: I think that is a genius, a work of genius. Like when he watched it, he was like that, I, I don't even know what to say, but I think... And I think he was right but i was surprised that he liked it so i don't know why did tyler say that he liked fleabag was it because it featured a, a smoking hot priest a sexy priest. yeah
2: well we <laughs> so this is um I, I have had a lot of funny strange run-ins with fleabag i actually be, the when i first watched it uh i was at home nursing my sort of two-year-old baby looking at uh, two-day-old baby, sorry, looking for something to watch with my mom while she was helping me. Oh, and yeah. we went to, we were just sort of like flicking through and we're like, Fleabag, this looks interesting. And after the you, first episode, we were like, this isn't really a mother-daughter show, but it's so good.
1: We're gonna so going to keep going with it. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of when my mom and I were talking about Bridgerton and I was like, we're not going to watch <gasps> that together, Mom.
0: You no. Know, okay, so, okay, pause, pause this. I saw a joke on the internet recently about this. And the joke was, when you're with your parents... And a scene comes on that's like, you know, you're like, oh, no, (laughs) you should turn to your mom or dad and say, is this the kind of filth you're into? (laughs) That's good. Just turn the tables forever. That's really
2: good. Well, so in this week, knowing I was going to talk to you guys, I'm now I'm I'm living uh, our family is living at my mom's and with my stepdad as well for the summer while we're doing a renovation in our house. And so I was like, guys, I got to watch season two of Fleabag just to like, you know, a little before I chat with Leah and Brian about it. And so this week I watched all of season two with my mom and my stepdad. And so at the end of the week, they're like, why do you always bring this kind of stuff home to us? (laughs) um, But they loved it. And we got to the end and they were just like, this is, this is just brilliant. And I think it can be hard to put your finger on why it's so brilliant, but it is a big part of it is the way that we are lured in by her. I think that we become a really active character in the arc of her healing
1: um, wow, yeah, I I, think that's really important. I think you're right because I was okay. So I watched another film, a, a brilliant film. We should probably do an episode called "The Sound of Metal," which oh, yeah. is about how someone um, goes deaf all this is profoundly deaf all of a sudden, and then learns to like reconcile with life again. And I after I watched it with my husband, I was like, I think this is a film about grief. You know, like just the grieving process and He is a grief specialist. So I'm always like, do you think it's that? Because then that'll tell me if I, you know, Um, and he, he thought so too. And I I don't know, to me, Fleabag was like in two seasons about a young woman grieving her mother to me, Mm -hmm. that, that felt like the core of it, but I don't know. What did you all think about what, if you could say like, this is what, what is this story in your, in your mind?
2: Well, I don't... So I think it's hard to talk about Fleabag without some spoilers. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> No, you try to avoid spoilers on Let's just do it. Let's do just it. We have to do it.
0: That's happening. So,
2: so there's an... there, I th- I think for Fleabag, and that is her name in the show her name is Fleabag um you never actually learn what her real name is um for so she's experienced this loss of her mother but it's not that's not the loss that we begin with the loss we begin with is the loss of her best friend who she owns this cafe with um and it and it gradually unfolds that uh, the extent to which um the death of the best friend uh implicates Fleabag that's sort of the arc of the first season Um, and this guilt that Fleabag is carrying from the role she played in in her friend's passing and it's I think it's not you know we know her mom is dead but she doesn't really become that much of a presence until the second season and so then we can start to piece together this like the way in which her friend Boo kind of like stepped into the space of the loss that she experienced with her mother and the sort of like increasingly gaping hole in her life that could not be fixed and I really think that's why we get created, um, in her psyche, why the audience gets created for this person, for this, this collective for her to speak to, because she can't actually be intimately present to others anymore. And so it's that, so there's the grieving there. There's the use of us to try to process that grieving. And then when the priest comes along, his entry into that vulnerable space Mm -hmm. Um, well, it kind of begins to push us out of it, which is, to me, the most interesting part of the show when the fourth wall that has been broken starts to mend. Um, he, She lets him into the space that was her mother's, that was Boo's, and then required us to maintain. And then now here he is trying to take it away from us. Um, so yeah, we're in this little like love triangle then at that point with her and the sexy priest and us all battling out for who gets to be her companion.
1: You know, I I cried a couple of times in this. I'm not a big pra- crier in regular world and so that's I was like this series is moving me but I, that part I found to be so beautiful and I couldn't explain why. I think you explained it better than I did which is how how hard it is to be close to someone and how beautiful and sad it is at the same time. And that her dad, I think it's in the, maybe the final episode, her dad, who's like a mixed bag as a father in a lot of ways. Um, But he says something like something to, I'm going to misquote it, but something to the effect of, I think you love Better or more passionately or something like that than than all of us, and that's why Mm -hmm. you struggle so much or something. I can't remember. That's why
2: life is so hard for you or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, because she (laughs) like her family kind of. You feel like they they think that she's the screw up, although. In a lot of ways, you can see how someone who maybe has like the obvious ways of acting out is maybe the least screwed up out of any of them because her sister clearly has problems, although she's like a high functioning. Like so the public would think she's high functioning, and then you're like, yeah. whoa, you're clearly you have just yeah. as many, if not more, problems.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, the sisters, a, the sisters, a hilarious character. Oh, yeah.
1: she's, she's incredible.
2: A, okay, oh, the thing, the thing with the
0: dad though. Okay, so to bring in a spiritual, a, a very. I was I was astounded by the ways I thought like you, Natalie, like watching it like, OK, this is just going to be like kind of like Ranch fest, like for shock value kind of stuff. And certainly there are things that are maybe like that, but or that some people would find that way. But I was surprised at how many traditional even like traditional Christian things there were in the mm. show. Like one example, maybe I'm just wrong about this, but like the role of confession, just like Christian mm. confession, like with her. There's a scene where she comes to her dad at like 2 a.m. And she's just standing there at the door. Oh. Oh. And her dad's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm, you know, uh, you know, she's like, I'm a... And she just like says all these things. Like, I'm a terrible person. I'm cynical. I've lost. I've lost my way. Da-da-da-da-da. And I thought like, wow. And like even the breaking the fourth wall, speaking to us, she's, hmm. she's charming us. But she's also confessing things to us too. Like people are... The, the show is about confession in some ways. Mm. I'll throw that out as another thing. Oh, I like that. The show is about confession. But if you
2: think of season two, right? Like, Brian, I don't think you've watched season two. Have you, Brian? I
0: watched parts of season two, yes.
2: Cause the confessional in the Catholic Church, it, anyone who's watched the no, show, I know. Okay, yeah. but I wanted to bring it yeah, to yeah. that. That's
0: a very that's a pretty. That's a, oh, that's, that's what you're trying to get. No, I was the saying sneaky route towards. That's a very un, that's a very non-traditional scene of confession, <laughs> or
1: sort of not oh, without historical precedent.
0: No. That's no. that was very. That's different. That's where the show goes. In, but it does confession in these other ways. So I didn't mean tradition. I meant a traditional theme, not in the traditional <laughs> way. Got is it. maybe what I wanted Got to it. say. And like, that is. Um, and she's you know, and then there's that that climactic. Final scene, which we said, you know, spoilers are on, where she kind of does she break in the very last moment. She kind of breaks the fourth wall to us again by kind of almost like looking at us, like, bye.
2: Oh yeah, but it's to say goodbye. Bu- oh my gosh, you're just go. Goosebumps. Oh, uh, that's too. the moment that made me cry when she looks at us and says goodbye at the very end. And it's like I, I interpret that as, uh, man, this is just a this is a mine pit of spoilers. I'm sure. It's okay. It's okay. We already told them if they've stayed,
0: then yeah. they know. Yep.
2: Um, no, I so I interpret that at the end of um, you know he he has decided not to be with her and broken her heart and broken his own and and all of that in the process and but he has brought this healing. He, she's finally let someone who's not us into that space of grief and loss, and so she doesn't need us anymore. And so when she looks back to actually say a proper goodbye to. <laughs> just, it just undoes me! It's so beautiful, the honouring of the audience that that does, um, the yeah the awareness of the gift she's given to us and asked us to give to her and the realisation that we've given it. I mean, that's such a... I can't think of a moment in television where I have felt such reciproc- relational reciprocity of the viewing experience.
0: Can you talk about the spiritual journey of the priest? Like, is it a traditional spiritual journey in the way that you think of it? Is it non-traditional? What's it What's it like?
2: I'm not even sure how to map those categories, but um, I think this is something I love about British TV, and it kind of resonates, I think, with Rev as well. Oh, I they love know, that show. Oh, yeah, so yes. Good. I love that show. Um, you can have complicated priest characters. This is not... Um, you know, like the Ned Flanders kind of character. No, <laughs> not that he's a priest, but... Or
1: like Seventh Heaven know. or those silly shows. No, where they,
2: no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the priest always has to be so one-dimensional, whether good or bad, or in in North American television, or it's like you think they're bad, but they're actually good. It's... Or the other way. Right, it's right, just, right. There's only... There's a very, like, one-two note kind of option. And with shows like Rev, this one, um, Broadchurch as well, the priest in oh, Broadchurch. Oh, yes, these yes. These characters still they hold enough cultural weight that you get to see them agonizing to care for a community. You get a sense of their vocation. You get that they are still struggling human beings and there's such incredible that they're selfish and that they're jerks and they, um, yeah, all those things. And so this arc of the sexy priest is, uh, you know, he's come, he seems to have come to the priesthood out of some trauma and brokenness of his own. Um, a lot of family dynamics taking place for him, but also an arc of trying to find meaning in his life that the priesthood gives him. And he loves being a priest. He loves caring for people. (laughs) He loves the outfits. I mean, he's like really into all of it. And then he falls for her. And you have no illusion that this person didn't have sexual relationships before he was a priest. Um, You know, it's, it's a tug back or forwards, I'm not sure, but his attempt to, he can't escape her or God. And so it's this intense wrestling between the two of them of where his devotion will go.
1: It's funny because I often think about shows about like, how would the show be if it was told from the perspective of him? Like if it was his show mm-hmm. and not hers. And and I I thought it's so funny because for a show that has as much like bodily functions include like sex, but not just sex, like the body is, in fact, I, I think, what, is it in the first episode where you, Either she's stolen this this statue of what you find you end up finding out is her mother like a, a, a nude of her mother, um, but anyway, so like bodies, the female body, very front and center, and he chooses um, like his his agony over his own vocation and like choosing perhaps like the body of Christ over this relationship with a woman is. I was not expecting that at all. No, I thought like, it, was, it was very reverent. I, I and- thought they were
0: going to be, pl- I, I honestly, I guess I, I was thinking, Oh, this is going to be a thing where they're going to show like how stupid the priesthood is and haha, And they're going to be lots of laughs at the expense of church. But I was sort of like, Oh, it was like
1: very kind, I don't want to use oh, this word is weird to use, but it felt like kind of holy. Like there's something yeah, that
2: totally did. It was so sacred. Yeah. Yeah. And just hence, really being taken to the depths of the complexity of trying to live a Christian life and and to live a vocational life. I felt yeah, just exposed that so beautifully.
1: Yeah, that was you know, for you all who haven't seen it, that's the moment where I was like, Whoa, I've watched something that's very I was not expecting that at all. Mm-hmm. So I Natalie, I have to ask you because as Brian mentioned, your book "Transgressive Devotion: Theology as Performance Art." Do you think, in your mind, could something like a media source like Fleabag serve as a, a source of devotion? Ooh, oh, good
2: question. You mean like as so a source to um, propel one's devotion rather than like an object of devotion, like
1: oh, okay, Fleabag. But that's that's I a would... good counter question. How about both?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, I'm pretty devoted to the show. <laughs> You're like, I'm a <laughs> devotee. I yeah. Actually, it's my, my idol. <laughs> no. Um, it's Well, I'll tell you, I, ha- I have gone, it, it's more of a rabbit hole that I've gone down television-wise than I have in a long time. And I, that sort of partnering transformative process alongside it, I don't know why it ignited that in me, but I know originally for her it was a one-act play. Uh, sorry, a one-woman one, one woman play, and then got turned into the television show. Um, so I had, I guess I watched the show, and then I read the scripts, and then I watched it again, <laughs> and, then, you know, and then I watched it again this week. And so I, wa- I was moving between performance and text, actually, and discovered new things by reading the scripts, and just kept sort of circling the story of it. Um, I do feel like I'm starting to make myself sound a bit obsessive, but... I think each circling of that uh, took me closer to understanding her arc of healing and what was happening there for her. And I have noticed with repeat viewings just the extent to which the brokenness of the sexy priest comes through as well. And so I think like any great art, which, you know, if you're willing to say that TV is art, which I am, this would definitely be in the top pantheon of television artworks for me. Um, like any art thinking, living with it for a little while is, can be transformative. And I think, uh, living and thinking with her for a little while and with their relationship and the involvement of me in it had a transformative quality to it that, you know, orients one to life differently. That's devotion. I think
0: having, having read parts of transgressive devotion, Natalie, I I was struck by just like how personal the book is. Like you're doing this academic thing and clearly you're a professor and this is coming out of a very literate learned part of you, but, and it's deeply confessional. And so, you know, out of that deeply emotional confessional sort of like voice that you embody in the book and so on, I thought, and then when thinking about fleabag, I'm like, Oh, and she's doing that too. Like she's a theological fleabag. Do you have, yeah, like you're like, is that, do you see yourself like a theological fleabag? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, well I will from here on out
0: <laughs> now you are we christen you I didn't, we christen you the uh, free bag it's of your theology.
1: crown <laughs> it's your crown but we're I mean no, that,
0: but there's that sense of like yeah like you're letting and I guess that's a move that's probably like a very standard move in feminist theology that you engage in too to like reveal like, like men when men write theology men do not talk about their feelings right like that's not a typical mm-hmm. way that that's done but you're doing something very different and it's like Fleabag is doing this. I, do you think it's like this, a similar move to what Fleabag is making character?
2: I'm going to make it a similar move just because that's awesome and I want it. to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me, I'm going to think with that question for a moment. I So part of what I'm trying to do in transgressive devotion is get to those places where faith fails us. And there is a wrong answer and a right answer right away. There, um, whether you're conservative, liberal, progressive, whatever, um, there's a there's this right answer that you need to pursue. So, um, one of the one of the things I explore in the book is um, the idea of feeling forgotten by God, and uh, you can say like, "Oh, God never forgets; God remembers everyone," or or you could go another route and be like, "Yep, God's forgotten you. God's no good. God, get out of here," um, and. When I had a crisis of faith where I felt forgotten by God, which I write about in the book, um, I wanted to actually spend time dwelling with the possibility that God had forgotten me and that that didn't mean I shouldn't have faith anymore. And so the first chapter of the book is written um, as a theology of a God being diagnosed with dementia and really... What I wanted to do there was open up the feeling of a doctrine gone wrong, sort of the affective structure that holds that together, and then work at that place instead of the logic of of the doctrine or trying to argue for or against a doctrine. I wanted to get into, you know, why do these... Why do these old, ancient ideas, many of which we might not consciously believe anymore, still hold such a grip on our imagination and the ways... Leah, I bet this would resonate with you. You know, like, I bet you don't believe in the rapture anymore. Oh, But I bet if you came out of your bedroom and no one was around, you would have that split-second moment of like, oh my gosh, they're gone. I've been left behind. Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> like,
1: oh, I, I, I mean, as a child, I had that yeah. feeling for sure. So yeah, I wouldn't be... Like... Well, I still I'll talk, have it still yeah. sometimes I'm
2: like oh where's everybody I'll, I'll say this
1: around around this time last year our area our part of the world the Pacific Northwest was like engulfed in flames and the sky was red and yes. it was and it lasted for days and I won't lie like the very yeah. first feeling is is that is that like apocalyptic
2: is this um, it affect. yeah,
1: was, yeah. Was, no was no when I stopped for so, sure so, so, so yes, yes yes
2: it's that af- the affect of it, I think. And I think that is part of what Fleabag's doing. You know, the transgressions of the show, they don't function like they do in other television shows that explore women's sex lives, because it's not just about that. And it's, it's not, there's no moralizing this or that, or what's wrong, what's not, even what's flourishing and what's not. It really is just using these narratives to try to um, create an affective experience for those who are engaging it. So, so yes... I would say Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I are two peas in a pod and her and I should just get together and hang out and see what happens.
0: Phoebe, reach out. Reach out to Natalie. Phoebe, 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 I'm here. Right now.
1: Well, (laughs) Dr. Natalie Wig-Stevenson, thank you so much for spending time with us talking about the wonders of Fleabag as well as your own work. We're so grateful to you for being with us. That was a, a true joy.
2: That was really fun. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos.
0: Keep it weird, everyone. We're trying to help. For extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes, don't forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com.
1: Our production features musical stylings by our very own Brian Doak, but our official theme music is still by Cassie Blum.
0: Our album artwork is by John
1: Williams. When you podcast, podcast with us.
0: See ya. And that's it.
2: were
0: doing an impersonation of me the other day and they picked
2: up a wine glass. It was like, really there you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: hilarious. That's amazing. Yeah,
2: and I always grabbed
1: a wine glass off the table and went, I'm mommy, I'm mommy. Oh my oh. gosh. That's hilarious. I feel like that is probably, this. that's so 2020, my, 2021.
0: <laughs> my daughters said to me recently, they said, dad, why don't you ever laugh for real sometime? They're like, dad, your laugh is, you're always doing a fake laugh to people
1: oh sad oh. that's heartbreaking. heartbreaking that makes me feel so much better does about it okay situation. good I,
0: I wanted to have that for you natalie just to like Thank you, I <laughs> and i was like i have real laughs. <laughs>, laughs i was like you just don't hear me laugh like explaining it to an eight-year-old like you just don't hear me laugh